You're listening to the Desperation Podcast, a generation in desperate pursuit of God. www.desperationonline.com. Tonight we're going to transition a little bit, and as we head into tour and as we head into the next number of weeks, we're going to talk a little bit about intercession. We're going to talk about corporate prayer. And so um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 17. Exodus chapter 17, and kind of a bizarre passage, but if you'll go there, I'll read there in just a minute. Let's, let's begin in prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, we love you, and we love loving you. We love giving our all to you. And God who gave everything, the God who existed in eternity past and became a man and in love went to a cross for us, rose from the dead. Jesus, we come to you and we are not casual in our approach of you. We are, each day we, we, we look forward to the opportunity to be your servants, to be your friends. We truly want to be saints alive today in 2007. We want to be holy ones. God, we want to be people that reflect the light of Jesus today. We want to be people that live in the knowledge of God, but also know God today. And Lord, we ask that you would cause the scriptures to come alive. And as we're committed to being a people that pray consistently, that take you at your word and really do the things that you said, we ask that you would place a divine grace on us. I pray supernaturally for a grace to press. As Paul said in, in Philippians, that he presses on. God, we want, a, we want a supernatural grace to press, to push, to strain for the prize. Lord, I, I lift up those who feel weak and tired tonight, and I just pray, Holy Spirit, would you place your hand on their heart, and God, would the, uh, would the dry hearts become soft, Lord Jesus, with those that have, are, are tempted to give up, to calm down, Lord God, would you do some miracle in them tonight, God? We love you and we trust you. Amen. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus is talking to his disciples and he makes a statement here where he says, I want you to always pray and not give up. And uh, it's about this time in, you know, we're about six weeks in and whether you're 24-7 and you have just finished history and there were some moments where inevitably you thought, I might want to give up right about now. Or you're in the furnace and you're kind of foregoing uh, your old entertainment. You're not watching the World Series tonight. You're here. You're doing prayer meetings night after night. And in all of us, there is this temptation to give up. And oftentimes, we've seen, we've had peers, we've had friends that gave up. And it wasn't that they gave up on God. They didn't give up on God is real. I like God. But they gave up on contending in, in prayer in a very uh, specific, tangible way. And Jesus here is giving a parable, and he says, I would that, I want to teach you how to always pray and not give up. Now, there's some of you that aren't giving up. There's some of you guys that are, you're like, man, I'm in this thing. I am loving it. I mean, you're, you've, you've set your foot in the river, and you are going down the river, and it is exciting. It is awesome. The Shekinah glory is filling your face. The Bible went from like, 
totally black and white to colorful. You're like Dorothy. Now you're over the rainbow and life is good. And, and, and things are just are happening for you. And so you're, you, right now you may be like, dude, this is, this is good. This is working. And yeah, I, I know that there's definitely some of you that are, are a little tired. And we kind of have only just begun. And, and I want to talk tonight about prayer specifically. Corporate prayer meeting. Intercession, weird word. But one that we use. Uh, I mean, what is it that causes us to come in and even in our little gathering here in our worship set, we have a kind of an, uh, an abnormal worship set where we have all these people coming up here and, you know, saliva flying, microphones, you know, up here, kids screaming in prayer. What, why? What, what's it look like? How do we, how do we do this consistently? I think that one of the reasons why we give up is because we don't rightly understand the battle. We don't rightly understand the spiritual battle that we're in and we look at life a little bit more like a merry-go-round or maybe a little bit more like vacation than we necessarily do a war zone. And I think that when we see planet Earth as a battleground or as a war zone and that there's really spiritual dynamics and that when we pray, we're laboring in prayer. When we pray, we're establishing the kingdom of God on the earth and when we pray, we're we're actually diligently coming against a real enemy. I think when that begins to set in, then we are motivated to pray. But one of the dynamics, one of the difficult dynamics about prayer and about this spiritual war, this spiritual battle, is that you have human dynamics related with God. In other words, it's God working with people to make change on the earth. And that's hard for us to get our brain around because that's messy. You know? It's not just like, um, you know, we're all just like puppets and it's all just done. We're just here and, you know, there's no reason to pray. No, God's really using your prayers to do stuff. And most of us here believe that. But when it comes to trying to figure that out, sometimes it gets hard. And I think that sometimes when we haven't thought through that, when we haven't kind of broken it down a little bit, it's easy to give up in time. So tonight, I want to just kind of have a big fat Bible study. And I want to create a core foundation within you on why we pray. And what are the variables and what are the dynamics? Clearly, I can't get to all of them tonight, but I'd like to get and just kind of focus in on some of them. Exodus chapter 17, verse 8. This is kind of this strange story that we read about Moses. It's one that you probably saw on a flannel graph when you were in, uh, you know, children's church. And you probably haven't thought much about it now. Maybe you acted it out in your little Christian school. To those of you who have recently been saved, this is like a bizarre story in the Old Testament that you've probably never read or heard of. All right? Um, I think my kids heard about it on VeggieTales. But... Verse 8, now Amalek came and fought with Israel in Rephidim. And Moses said to Joshua, choose us some men and go out, fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses said to him and fought with Amalek. 
And Moses, Aaron, and her went up to the top of the hill. All right, so are you picturing it? All right, so you've got Moses going to the top of the hill, Aaron and her, which is a man. Um, <laughs> just in case you're wondering. Aaron and her <laughs> went up to the top of the hill with Moses. All right, so you've got battlefield, Moses top of the hill, two men, Aaron and her. All right, and so it was when Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. And when he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. Or I think the NIV says the Amalekites, which is a little easier to read that way. Verse 12, but Moses' hands became heavy. So they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. And Aaron and Hur supported his hands, one on one side and the other on the other. And his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his people with the edge of his sword. Then the Lord said to Moses, write this for a, for a memorial in the book and recount it in the hearing of Joshua that I will utterly blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. Now this is kind of a strange story, all right? Because if you picture this battlefield, the Israelites are going to war with the Amalekites. Joshua is leading the physical charge in terms of, you know, he's kind of the, you know, He's Achilles, you know, down front leading, you know, with the whole battle right there. He's the big, bad Joshua guy, good warrior, all right? He's the man down front. And then you have this dynamic where you have Moses up on a hill with two guys, Aaron and Hur, up on a hill. And essentially what this picture is, is this is a picture that presented here in Exodus for us to understand a little bit about prayer. But it's kind of a strange story because I, I want you to try to picture this moment where when Moses' hands are up, all right, then the Israelites are winning. And when his hands go down, the Amalekites are winning. Kind of bizarre. Why? Well, because there's two different dynamics being in, going on here. You can't erase the fact that human beings are fighting on a battlefield with real swords and spears and you know, guns and stuff, you know, no, not guns, but, but like there's a real battle. There's real human people down there working. Are you with me? But yet the dynamic of who's actually winning and who's actually losing is based upon when this older Moses has his hands in the air lifted up in a form of prayer. Bizarre story. I mean, I just, when I, when I begin to try to think about this, not as a Bible story, but as a historical event, not some Sunday school story, but actually, like, if we were to watch it, you know, if it was a movie, and we were to watch Moses with his hands up, and Joshua winning the battle, you know, I imagine Joshua being like, ooh, there's Moses, rock and roll, Moses, and then, you know, Moses' hands come down a little bit, now it's a little bit even, and now all of a sudden he's tired, and now, wait a minute, dude, my people are dying here, get the guy's hands up, and in that moment, it'd be kind of bizarre for Joshua, once he kind of figured out the dynamic, to start yelling at his soldiers, hey, hut, two, three, four, let's go, you know, when the hands are down, right? Inevitably, if he goes, uh, it's all about what God is doing when Moses lifts his hands, he's just going to be like, yo, Mo, get the hands up, man, come on, and he's going to have a focus on Moses. Are you with me? So, I mean, I always thought it'd be, I, I think it's an interesting story, I, I just, you know, hands up, Ooh, if, if I were Moses, I'd be like, Ooh, you know, like, 
just, just for fun, see what jumping jacks would do. You know, <laughs> you know, be like, ah, ah, ah. But, I, I, but I, 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 kind of just bizarre, but the, the, it's, it's a very intriguing concept that we read about because here we've got God working, but very real human beings fighting on a battlefield, really defeating the enemy. And the thing is, is that God tells, him to, tells Moses to go up the hill. God prescribes how to do it. God wants the Amalekites to feed him. Why doesn't God just take them out? Smite them, almighty smiter, you know? You're God. Do your thing. But yet, God says, I'm going to take out the Amalekites. In fact, there's like all kinds of language here of blotting out their remembrance. But I want to use human beings to actually fight the battle. I want to use my chosen people, Israel, to actually do what I want to do. It's a very intriguing story. Very interesting concept. Because when you and I look at our lives and what God's called us to, he's called us to be very intentional about prayer, We're very intentional about standing in the gap and being a people that really pray. We're really praying for a youth movement in our generation. We're really praying that the nations might know about Jesus. We're really praying for God to move in our city. We're really in a pretty intentional way doing this prayer thing. And sometimes when I talk with people, they have concepts of prayer that are so bizarre to me, so warped, I go, there's no, no wonder you're not intentional in your prayer life. No wonder you've counted it out because you've got so many bizarre ideas going on in your head. It's easy to count it out when you have wrong ideas in your head. So we're going to talk verses and this is going to be a little less inspiring maybe and mostly just kind of like a Bible study. But it's my hope that we can kind of work through some of the dynamics of a God who uses human beings to establish his kingdom on the earth and he asks us to pray and he does it through prayer he looks at you and he looks at me and he says Jesus says in Matthew 6 he says I want you to pray like this thy kingdom come thy will be done he says I want you to establish the kingdom the domain in which God is king the establishment of the king I want you to establish God's kingdom on the earth and I want you to do it in prayer Let's just talk about a few ideas. Colossians 4.12. Uh, I, I, Paul says, he talks about, he's talking about Epaphras. And he says, Epaphras is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm, all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Wrestling. It's kind of a battle type term. It's active. Jude 1.3 says, contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. Billy Graham said, prayer isn't preparation for spiritual warfare. It is spiritual warfare. So we here, we want a culture where we are in prayer, doing the work, being faithful in prayer, and establishing the kingdom of God. Now, our temptation will always be to stop praying because we don't have vision of Moses up on the hill 
All we can see is the guy in front of us who's about to spear us in the face. And we think, let's work on our spear skills. Let's go get some more food. Let's do, and let's work, 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 work. In reality, there's much to be said for the fact that when Moses' hands were up, they were winning. When they were down, they weren't winning. All right? One of the reasons why this, one of the things that sent me into my little prayer passion here is uh, Fred Markert uh, spoke a number of years ago to, at a pastor's conference. And he, he showed a graph that changed my life. I mean, I, I think people that have been hanging around this tribe for a while have heard me talk about this over and over again. But he showed this graph and he showed how during the 90s, during the Pray Through the Window movement, uh, where there was a specific mobilization force of praying, uh, uh, of getting local churches in Christendom, both America and, you know, Europe, to pray for unreached peoples. And he showed about, he showed, uh, he showed this graph about while we were praying, how the kingdom of God was being established. And the, as the prayer went up, the number of churches, the number of churches went up and converts went up. But it was called 82,000 and it ended in the year 2000. So it was just like, okay, let's, you know, do this big prayer effort for the last seven years of the 90s and then it'll end in 2000. And I don't know why it ended in 2000. Maybe we thought Jesus was coming on, you know, or something, but, but it ended then. And so, but then he showed the decline, how 2001, 2002, 2003, how is the prayer, the initiative stopped. Converts decreased. Amount of churches planted decreased, and it was this graph, and and it and, and, and it's kind of hard because God's not like a. We all know that God's not like a, a Coke machine where you put in the quarters and you get you know you press Coke and ungodly people press Pepsi and and the anointed ones know the real thing and and but press Coke and the Coke you know we I mean we know that God's not like that that God that we are are in a relationship with God. It's not a machine. And yet God also tends to really respond to prayer. So what do we do with all these different dynamics, all these different variables? I mean, it seems very much like when we pray, God works. Yet you and I know, in our own experience, it's not as clean cut as that graph. Right? I mean, I mean... Michael Knowlton has been praying for a wife for a long time. No. You know what I'm saying? Like, there are specific prayers that make it personal in your own journey. But there are specific prayers that you're praying for, that you're believing for. And that it hasn't been like, I increased my prayer on this and boom, I immediately saw the results. If we're honest. Right? Now, if we're in our church mode and a big smile on our face and we're kind of hunky-dory, then we're kind of like, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, everything I prayed for ever, it always happens. And I've had people say things like that. And I'm like, yeah, okay, right. Yeah, sure. All right, pray that I'll be taller. And so, you know, it, 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 I don't buy it, you know. Well, I prayed that, you know, George Bush would be president. And he is. And I'm like, oh, yeah, and you're the variable, you know, okay. <laughs> like... And so, and so, but somehow we've got to work through these different dynamics of how, just how, what, what do we believe and how do we, how does prayer work? I mean, we're giving ourselves really consistently to this Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night, Saturday or Thursday morning, but anyway, Saturday night, Saturday, I mean, in a consistent way. And I don't want to be the people that say, okay, 
we're praying and we're praying mostly because when we pray, uh, God's doing something in our heart to where now we're, we're okay and we accept the way that the world is because I prayed. That's not really the vision of this tribe. This is more of the, the crew that's saying, I believe that when I pray, it's actually beckoning and calling upon God to do the things that he wants to do. And because I prayed, there's a measurable impact in the world. That because I prayed, though I may not be able to see it with my eyes fully, or even partially, or even at all, I have faith that God heard those words and that things are different. The world is impacted because I prayed. So I'm going to talk about a few things that matter. Number one, God matters. And what I mean by that is when, you, when we're talking about the different dynamics in prayer, God's will matters. 1 John 5, 14, write that down. says, now this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Okay, interesting. Because here, 1 John, we're talking about praying according to the will of God. And if, he, and if we know that he hears us, Whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked, him, we have asked of him. All right? So here's John. John saying, all right, we need to pray according to the will of God. We need to ask according to God's will. So what this means is, is when you go to pray, this, this is one of the reasons why here in the furnace prayer meetings, we pray the scriptures over and over and over again. Because if you send, you know, you know in a normal prayer meeting, you know, 40 to 75 20-year-olds to pray for anything, then who knows, you know? Some people be praying for the Buffaloes to win. Some praying for the Sooners to win. Some people praying for rain. Some people praying for snow. You know, who knows? Some people praying for grandma to raise again. I don't know. You know, like anything goes. And so one of the things that we want to do is be specific at praying what God in his word has already said he wants to do. And so... When we pray the scriptures, the primary reason we do that, and there's lots of secondary reasons. I love the fact that that's, we get the scriptures in us. And we start to know the word of God because we do that. And then all of a sudden you're sitting at coffee with your friend having a conversation and they're crying. And all of a sudden you've got like 10 verses leaping out of you. And you're like, where did that come from? Oh yeah, it's when I was spitting in the microphone at the furnace prayer meeting. But, uh, but if, if we pray, one of the most important things is that we pray the will of God. And the way that we find that is we find the whole, W-H-O-L-E, the whole of Scripture, all right? Uh, not to be confused with the whole in your Bible. The, the whole of Scripture, we look at what God is like, what his personality is like, what he, what he, the way he responds to people, and you start to figure out what God is like. You start to figure out what God is like. And so it's, it's easier to tell, number one, through Scripture, what's the will of God. Yes, there is a Holy Spirit wooing or a Holy Spirit knowledge. But one of the, the best ways for you to know the will of God in your prayers is by being a student of the word. And if you'll do that, if you'll do that, then you'll have a greater understanding. And because if we don't, and some of you have experienced this, I don't know, I mean, some of you guys have led prayer meetings, some of you have um, maybe just trying to pray in junior high or high school, uh, you know, when you, do, when you don't go that route, you have, you have all kinds of people praying some, some different things because according to their will, it's got to be God's will, right? Because they want it 
And so they're kind of trying to pull on God, almost like genie in a bottle, a bottle or some pixie dust or something. Does that make sense? But one of the most important things when you go to pray is that you pr- you're praying the will of God. And so ask that. Or if you're going to lead, my prayer is that you guys lead prayer meetings for the rest of your lives, whether you are going to be in... Uh, uh, if you're, whether you're going to be a pilot or you're going to be a banker or you're going to be in ministry or you're going to be a mom and you're going to just, you know, be a homeschool mom and have nine children, lead, you got a whole prayer meeting right there. You know, like, lead them right there. Any homeschoolers here? Come on, church. All right, there we go. Yeah, look at that. Homeschool tribe. All right. So, so but when you lead, we want to, we, we, and, and not just when we lead, but we're, we're going to be involved in corporate prayer meetings. We're going to be get, taking prayer meetings on the road here in a couple weeks. And, uh, and I want this to be deep within us uh, that we pray uh, God's will. So one of the variables that really, really matters is God's will. But here's one of the intriguing things. We find quite a few scriptures that talk about initiative that we take. So, God's will starts with God. Are you with me? But, like, let's look at Daniel 10, 12. It says, this is an angel of the Lord appearing to Daniel. Everybody got that? Visualize it in your mind. Don't just let this be the preacher up here just babbling. Picture in your head, Daniel, old man, angel of the Lord appears to him after he's been on an extended fast. Daniel 12, 10, 12, our favorite. Then he continued... Do not be afraid, Daniel, angel of the Lord, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before our God, your words were heard, and I, the angel of the Lord, have come in response to them. I, the angel of the Lord, have come in response to your prayers. All right? Intriguing. Daniel does something that initiates the activity of, of the angel of the Lord. Well, 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 well. Maybe your prayers do matter. Maybe, maybe your life, praying in a consistent way, does matter. James 4, 2. James says, you have not because you ask not. The idea, if you would ask, you would receive. A guy named Jesus said that in Matthew 7. Remember that? Asking you will receive, seeking you will find, knocking the door will be open to you. For whoever asks, receives, whoever seeks, finds, whoever knocks, the door is open. Are you with me? Okay, so let's talk about this. Number one, God matters, for sure. God's will, that matters in figuring out what prayer looks like. But number two, your faith matters. Your faith matters. Matthew chapter eight, let me just read a Bible story to you. All right, verse five. All right? It's about the centurion. Just listen to the words here. As Jesus entered the village of Capernaum, a Roman captain came up in a panic. This is uh, kind of the Yo Jesus version here. This is the message. This is for uh, third graders. All right. Just kidding. I love the message. All right. And said, Master, my servant is sick. He can't walk. He's in terrible pain. Jesus said, I'll come and heal him. Oh, no, said the captain. I don't, want, I don't want to put you to all the trouble. Just give the order and my servant will be fine. I'm a man who takes orders and gives orders. I tell one soldier, go and he goes. To another, come and he comes. To my slave, do this and he does it. Taken back, Jesus said, I've yet to come across this kind of simple trust 
or in Bible language faith, in Israel. The very people who are supposed to know all about God and how he works. This man is the vanguard of many outsiders and will soon be coming from all directions, streaming in from the east, pouring in from the west, sitting down at God's kingdom banquet alongside Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Then those who grew, grew up in the faith but had, had no faith will find themselves out in the cold, outside to grace, and wondering what happened. All right? So here's a centurion, Roman centurion. All right? And because of his faith, right here, demonstrated because for someone else, there's a miracle. Jesus says, all right, I'll do it. Okay? Interesting. All right, let's look at this one. Matthew chapter 15, verse 13. It's the Canaanite woman, all right? Then Jesus turned to the captain and said, go. What you believed could happen has happened. Uh, oh, I lost the last verse there. Sorry. That, the last verse of the last story. Then Jesus turned to the captain and said, go. What you believed could happen has happened. In other words, you prayed, you had faith, and it's happened. And at that moment, his servant became well. All right? There it is. Faith demonstrated. Faith demonstrated. And there's a miracle. All right? All right. Um, now, on to the next story. All right? Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaan, this is in Matthew 15. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer her a word. So his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away. For she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, It is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Calls the lady a dog. Bad day in America. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs get to eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. This lady just keeps coming. Praying for her daughter. Her faith for a daughter. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. So your faith as an intercessor, both of these stories, not even for themselves. Interesting. Both of these stories, one for the, uh, for the servant, one for the daughter. And Jesus, even to the centurion woman, Jesus is not like, uh, uh, you know, even tell, he asked me again, I want you to keep coming. No. He rejects her. He says, he, first he ignores her. Then he rejects her. Then he calls her a dog. <laughs> yeah, your friend. I'm a friend of God. He calls me dog. I mean, that Jesus. That Jesus says, I want you to keep coming after me. There's more to be gained if you'll keep coming. I, I really do want to give good gifts, but I want you to take initiative and I want you to keep coming. And so Jesus actually looks at both of these and because of their faith, does a miracle for someone that they're requesting. It's not them. And their faith. Now, this isn't the daughter's faith. This is the centurion's, or this is the, the uh, Canaanite woman's faith. Right? It's not, the, it's not the girl, not the daughter, not the one that was healed. Someone else. It's her mom. Same thing of the servant. It's not the servant with great faith, is it? No. 
It's a satiric kind of coming before Jesus on behalf of someone else. We don't even get to meet these two different people in the story. They're not even here. But simply based upon Jesus seeing the person that has great faith in the moment, asking in prayer, right there, Jesus goes, all right, great faith, done. Now, for most of us, for most of us, if we were the centurion woman, we'd give up. We'd be like, you ignored me, Jesus, heavens are brass, I'm out of here. You know? I don't know why God doesn't listen. I don't know if God is real. And then certainly if, you know, he rejected you, it's like, fine. I'll take my marbles and go home, go do it my way. I don't know what I think about God. I'm going through a faith crisis. Especially if we felt like God insulted us. <laughs> uh, I came only for the lost sheep of Israel, you know. So, here you have the person that's praying for someone else and their faith for someone else matters enough to move God's heart to do a miracle. Your faith matters. Let's talk about when it's for you. Mark chapter 10, verse 46. These are just Jesus stories because we know when we look at Jesus, we see what? We see what God is like, right? If you want to know what God is like, read the Gospels. Read all about Jesus. I mean, 101, you want to know what God's like? Read how Jesus responds to people. And you'll know what God is like. Jesus was very kind to people whose heart was soft. Jesus was very harsh, called them snakes and vipers and things, to people who had hard hearts like Pharisees. Jesus was filled with compassion for people that were hungry. Jesus was a bit resistant to the rich. Why? Everything has to do with the heart. Same is true of our Father. You want to know what God's like? You want to know how God responds to you? Just get a thorough memorization of what Jesus is like. And you'll, you'll, you'll know what God's heart is like. All right. Story of Bartimaeus. Mark 10, 46. Are you with me? Are you understanding what I'm talking about tonight? All right. Number one, God's will matters. All right. God matters. Number two, when it comes to prayer. Number two, your faith is a component. It's a variable in this whole God story connecting with human beings. You know, we're in a very real battle, but there is a God who is in charge of the battle. <laughs> anyway, Mark 10, 46. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him, be quiet. But he shouted all the more. That's a, like a four-hour sermon right there. But, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Okay, so let's look at this story. Intriguing story. This isn't a guy coming in with faith for somebody else. This is a guy coming in with faith. He is the person praying, essentially, and he is also the person that he's praying for himself. I need a miracle. I want to, I, I want to see. Jesus hears his prayer 
Based upon your faith, God works. Based upon your faith, I'll move. See, your faith and your initiative in prayer matters in the way God establishes the kingdom of God on the earth. What you do matters. You have a very dignified role on planet earth. Yes, your deeds matter in establishing the kingdom of God. And your prayers matter in establishing the kingdom of God. Prayer and deeds. That's the two ways that we establish the kingdom. Our prayers and our works. Our, spirit, our spiritual lives, what we pray, what we ask God to do. And then the way we put feet to it, the things that we do, the way that it plays out in our lives, those matter. One of the things that I think is kind of interesting is all prayers aren't necessarily equal. Jesus is talking to these guys here about, I mean, he talks about how much faith one guy has. He's talking about the centurion. He goes, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. Jesus comparing the level of faith? Well, isn't Jesus fair? I mean, that's not really fair. I'm just reading the Bible. He looks at the centurion and he goes, hey, fellas, I haven't seen this kind of faith. This guy's got faith. I'm going to do this miracle for this cat because this guy's got real faith. I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. That's kind of interesting when it comes to us being a people of prayer. That's kind of interesting because we want to be the people that don't come in and say the token prayer because we've learned how to do it or because we ought to do it because we're part of a religious society. But the desperation, the hunger, the need, the desire, the authentic faith is actually measurable by Jesus. So how does that play out in your life? Well, I'd say not only do you want to be a person of faith, but when it comes to like having other people pray for you or your accountability group or your team or whatever it is, you want people with faith praying for you. If you're going into surgery, <laughs> if you're about to get married, <laughs> you want people with faith, right? I want friends that have faith if that are praying for me because I don't want, you know, if Jason's got a little faith, Dan's got a lot of faith, and Stefan's got mega faith, and I, can, and I only got time to get one guy praying, I'm going to get mega faith boy going. Why? I'm just being logical here. Jesus talks about, I'm doing this stuff because this guy has real faith. So inevitably what that comes back for us is your faith, the level of your faith matters to God. It mattered to Jesus, it matters to God. That means when it comes to us, when us, it comes to us praying, There is, there is, you can't understand faith. Faith is faith. You know, like, I always have people that are like, well, let's, you know, when we have this intellectual dialogue, and I always kind of end up looking at them saying, it is not a science. It is faith. I mean... I love intellectual talk and let's work on it. Let's try to understand all the ideas. Let's work on the scriptures. Let's work on philosophically how that plays out. 
But at the end of the day, the people that are standing in the gap in prayer, the people that are spending their evenings in prayer, the people that are spending their mornings in prayer, even, uh, even from the consider this, the people that are spending a, a dialogue with God all day long, that is in itself an act of faith. It is not fully understandable with your brain because ultimately it's saying, I am trusting God. And I want the supernatural God to reach down and touch the very real natural world that I'm living in. I'm down here on the battlefield and right now all I can see, I can't, I, I, I can't tell, you know, what's going on other than I know that I'm losing, but I know that God is in this thing. So let's get some people praying and we'll start winning. It's an intriguing dynamic. God is using human beings to establish the kingdom of God on the earth. But God is the one doing it. Huh. Yeah. So, that means when we go to pray, we want to not be the irritated, cynical intercessor that's sitting there with their Bible justifying why they're not engaging. We want to be the tribe that as many people in the room engaged, and one of the ways that has helped me in the whole idea of um, praying with faith is I tend to be able to pray better with faith when I visualize what I'm praying for. So if we're praying for uh, God to move on tour, you know, we're praying, God, we want to see a move of God among local church youth ministries in Detroit. God, um, we lift up November 10th when we're at Warren Woods Church of the Nazarene and do your thing. Then I visualize in my head God working, God moving, and an ongoing sustainable movement after we're gone. And I picture it. And when I picture it, it gives me staying power to not only pray longer, but to also actually have a greater degree of faith. Like, imagine it. Does that make sense? This is very practical tonight. But picture it. Like, actually, if you're praying for your friend to be healed, picture them healed. Just imagine it. It will give you, it, it, it will create a, um, a greater degree of faith within you because you're imagining it. So you can say it, you can pray it, you can believe for it. Okay? All right? Now, in addition to your faith, all right, other people's faith matters. Now, in the example that I gave a minute ago, where the daughter uh, wasn't even there, and neither was the servant, it was just the person, the person there. But we find other stories in the scripture where someone's praying, and because the person being prayed for doesn't have faith, there's not the miracle. Let's look at it. Matthew... Uh, 13 verse 53 when Jesus had finished these parables he moved on from there coming to his hometown he began teaching the people in the synagogue and they were amazed where did where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers they asked isn't this the carpenter's son isn't isn't his mother's name Mary and aren't his brothers James Joseph Simon and Judas aren't all his sisters with us where then did this man get all of these things and they took offense at him. Okay, there it is. Number one plan of the enemy, by the way, 
is to get the people of God offended at God. And often it's in the place of prayer. Often people get offended at God because they pray a prayer, believe it, doesn't happen the way that they want it to, doesn't align the way, and it's not interpreted the way they want it. So they get offended at God and they're done. But Jesus said to them, only in his own hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Other versions say, and he could not do miracles there because of their, their, because of their lack of faith. That's an intriguing concept. Jesus doing less miracles because of their faith. Now, we see any miracles, we think it's like, you know, pull out the hankies and it's the glory of God and it's, you know, it's the end of the world, man. I mean, woo, wow, fire. A miracle. Jesus here can only do a few miracles. Why? Their lack of faith. One of the places where you're going to see this is when we go on, on tour in November. Uh, because when we go on tour in November, we're taking the same team from city to city. Right? So when we're in, when we're in, uh, in, in the Quad Cities, it's the same team that is going to be in Detroit. All right? But one of the dynamics that you'll notice, it's totally different every night. And we'll go in and we will have been in the furnace since September. We'll have been praying. We'll have been believing for God to do this. And, you know, unless we've just made a Starbucks run right before the prayer meeting, most meetings will have about the same amount of energy. We'll have about the same amount of, you know, faith when we get there. And one of the things I always notice is that in some places where there's people that have been praying and are eager for a move of God, we come in and it's just like throwing gas on a fire that's already lit. I mean, it, it, we come in and it's just like, they're already ready. They're already praying for it. And it's just like, you know, koinonia. There you go. New Testament word, Greek word. All right. It's just community. It's life. It's happening. It's awesome. It's fiery. And it's just their faith. The faith seedbed is there and it just sprouts. Or <laughs> sometimes we'll go into a place. There really is no faith. They're only having us because... They're wanting us to come and have faith for them, which, you know, we'll give it our best shot. But you come in and it's a different dynamic based upon their faith. So, one of the things that we see that matters in prayer is the people being prayed for, their faith. Not just the intercessor. But there's dynamics involved right here based upon the people being prayed for. All right? So, number one, God matters. Number two, your faith matters. Number three, their faith matters. Number four, intriguing one, time matters. Time. Say time. Have you ever wondered, Friday night, 11.30 at the prayer meeting, crying out for a youth revival again it's exactly what we were doing last week praying the same scriptures we prayed last week for me I'm going this is the same prayer meeting I was leading six years ago praying the same verse I was praying six years ago faces are different ideas are the same well for some people that would be a temptation to give up I can't understand this why am I just repeating 
I mean, God's God. Like, he knows my thoughts before even a word is on my tongue, let alone my tongue over and over and over and over and over and over again. Why? Why do I do it over and over and over again? Well, the intriguing thing about prayer is that we all know that the number one thing that God wants is relationship, right? God wants relationship with his people. This way it was with Israel, this way it is with his church. He's looking at for, the, for a people corporately, but he's also looking for people individually, right? God's the God that he was looking at down at Israel. He's like, I want to be your God. You want to be my people? And they're like, yes, we want to be your people. Then they get in the middle of the desert. No, we don't want to be your people. Then God's like, let me do a miracle. We want to be your people. All right. You know, and the whole Old Testament is this relationship with God and his people, you know, and God's saying, I want to be your God. You want to be my people? And then same thing with the church, you know, there's times where we're like, you know, church is marching on, we're loving Jesus, we're going for it. And God's like, you want to be my people? We're like, yes, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. We're like, I'm in. And then other times we're like, ah, I'm not sure if I want to be your people. Right? Okay, so that's the story that's going on. God wants relationship. That's the reason for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Why did, they, why did, why did Jesus come? He wants relationship, right? We all know that, right? That's like Christianity, Jesus 101, right? Okay, so if relationship is the number one thing that God wants, the intriguing thing about this whole prayer concept is that you and I, when we pray, are dialoguing with God. We're communing. And in the whole prayer process, relationship is being established, right? See, in the, in the next five years, most of you will probably get married, some of you, and a couple of you. And so, uh, and, and one of the things that you learn about in marriage is there's always the illustration ab- about uh, how when, when, when you're communicating, when you're talking, you know, there's like... Uh, you're establishing relationship, right? You guys know this kind of thing, right? You know it because of your uh, old prom days, right? In high school, but now you're all celibates for Jesus, right? Bachelor to the rapture till Jesus comes back. Okay, so, all right. But in any, re- in, in any relationship, in any relationship, communication and investment is an investment and relationship. Are you with me? Now, here's one of the intriguing things that happens is that when you begin to uh, pray, you're just, and that's a crazy thing. You're just repeating back to God what he told you to say. I mean, it doesn't take intelligence. That's why I do it full time. (laughs) All right. Just kidding. All right. Because, I mean, Jesus, Matthew 6, he goes, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to say back to me what I'm about to tell you. I can do that. All right? But then we spend day after day, year after year doing that. All right? And what happens is in that prayer conversation, relationship is developed. All right? When you're praying the scriptures, you start to know what God wants. You start to know what God likes. You start to know what God wants to do. Why? Because you're getting this in you. And this, that's just paper, that's just the written word right here, this gets in here. The written word, the Holy Spirit living word, puts life on it, it gets in here, and all of a sudden, through this vehicle, the Holy Spirit, alive inside of you, there's an authentic, very real relationship with God. And it comes through this prayer thing. Now, here's what happens, though, when you have relationship. You do the prayer thing, prayer establishes the relationship thing. When you have the relationship thing, you know what starts to happen out of relationship? You start to believe that he's real. And he's not a philosophical idea. He's real. You know him. He's your friend. Let's see. 
calls you dog, but then you're probably his closest friend because he can trust you. But anyway, and so you pray. Your prayer establishes relationship. Your relationship then does this bizarre thing. It creates faith. You, it's, it's hard to just kind of muster up faith without prayer and without relationship. But when you have prayer, you're establishing relationship. And when you have relationship, when you really know someone, then, especially when you really know the perfect someone, right? And you really know him, then you can believe not only that he's real, but he rewards those who seek him. Why? You've seen it. You've experienced it. You know it. You know that he's a God that gives good gifts to those that ask. You have, because you have relationship, you have trust. When I have relationship, I have a relationship with Dan. He's been on my staff for six and a half years. He's been my brother as long as he's been alive. All right? Now, because he's my brother and I have 20-something years of relationship with him, we're tight. 25, 24, 26, 27, something like that. Just kidding. He's 25. Uh, because we have that, there's trust there. All right? And, and realistically, because there's trust there, you know what? Then I have faith that he can come through. All right? Now, here's the deal. When you have relationship, faith starts to grow. Trust starts to grow. And you can believe. So, when you spend time crying out to God, you're establishing relationship. You're establishing friendship. And in that time then, God, he is a God that he wants to give you good gifts and he wants relationships, so he wants that communication. He wants that time. Luke 18, 1, where we started tonight, the whole idea is the persistent widow that she just keeps coming back to the unjust judge. And Jesus says in the parable, hey, listen, if an unjust judge eventually says, fine, take what you want, I'll give it to you. Just leave me alone. You're wearing me out. How much more does the God who loves us and is just? When you spend time, you're building relationship. I think that's one of the things that uh, all of us start to realize without it ever being articulated that when we spend time night after night after night after night in intercession night after night praying our relationship with God goes deeper and because it goes deeper and, and it just we thought that the end was a move of God but it's almost like God goes ha ha gotcha the end is me and even the, the move of God the end is me and the prayer is a means to relationship. And the faith is a means to relationship. And whatever revival it is that you're praying for, it's a means to relationship. And whatever is the miracle of healing that you're praying for, it's a means because I want relationship. I want friends. When we spend time 
night after night after night. A, we build relationship. And B, God just goes, I'll give good gifts if you'll just keep coming. Fine, persistent widow. Here, take it. Or the parable of the neighbor who goes in and pounds on the door until they say, you're driving me insane. Take all of my bread. Just leave me alone. There's a part of God that he goes, I so want relationship. I'll even operate under those terms. <laughs> I just come, come, persist, ask. I want to give. Seek. I want you to find. Knock. I want to open the door. But I want you to want. And I'm not going to just make you win. You know? I want Moses' hands up and I want a real army on the battlefield. I'm not just going to take out the Amalekites. I could do that. I could sneeze and all the Amalekites are dead. If I wanted to. But I want relationship. Because I want relationship, I'm going to use you, establish my kingdom on the earth. I'm going to use you. Yeah, you, little Josh. Yeah, you, Joe. Yeah, you, Dave. Yeah, you, I'm going to use little people like you. I want relationship. Okay, now here's the last one. Kind of an intriguing one. But one that I believe as a part of the whole idea of what we're committed to around here in terms of trying to develop as many local church prayer youth ministries as possible, prayer groups going on in local churches across America, and that's this. Don't get nervous. Some of you are going to get scared on this one. Numbers matter. I'll prove it to you. More people is better than less people. (laughs) More people praying is better than less people praying. All right? If, if, If we're going to try to see miracles, let me just say it this way. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 4. Look at Paul. Paul is always asking everybody to pray for him. Now, if, if it was just like one person's prayer is equivalent to all the New Testament church praying and all these Gentiles have just gotten saved and we're establishing churches everywhere, you know, or whatever. Uh, you know, like, let's just have, let's say Paul's hanging out with Silas. Hey, Silas, will you pray for me? Yeah, all right. I got as much as I need right there. Silas is not a bad guy. I mean, Silas, hanging with Paul, they're singing worship songs at midnight, you know, earthquakes, jailers, you know, getting their whole family saved, big miracles. Silas wasn't like a barely saved cat. Paul could have just been like, hey, Si, pray for me. I'll pray for you. We're done. Right? But look at Paul in his letters. Devote yourselves to prayer, Colossians 4.2. Being watchful and thankful. And pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Hmm. Y'all devote your, yourselves to prayer. And hey, by the way, I want you to pray for me. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Finally, brothers, pray for us. Pray for us that the message of the Lord may spread rapidly and be honored just as it was with you. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men. Just like furnace girls. Just kidding. And pray that we may be, that's a joke, all right. And pray that we may be delivered from wicked and evil men and not ever, and not, for not everyone has 
faith. 1 Thessalonians 5.25, brothers, pray for us. Ephesians 6, Paul goes, pray that I would preach the gospel fearlessly as I ought. See a trend? Paul's constantly trying to get all the churches to pray for him. Why? Why didn't you just get Silas to pray for him? You know, why didn't you just get Barnabas? Barn. Uh, bus. <laughs> Barney. <laughs> pray for me, dude. There you go. Good enough. That's good. One old boy. I got one boy praying for me. That's all I need. No, 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 no. One's better than none. But we don't have to be mathematicians and we don't have to be geniuses to know that Paul's trying to mobilize a bigger prayer force as many people as possible praying. Are you with me? Here's the deal. The graph Fred Marker showed was lots of people praying and lots of salvations. End of the AD 2000. Less people praying. Less salvations. Now, I don't know all the intriguing dynamics into every single one of your prayers, you know, your journey. As you're taking this message and you're kind of formulating in your brain, all right, well, I prayed that she would like me and she doesn't. And I prayed with faith. And I prayed for this healing and it didn't happen. Or I didn't pray for this, but I, I, I mean, I don't know all the way that you're interpreting it, but I want to tell you, our call and our role is to believe that our prayers matter. And if you'll take all of these, then in your heart, if you'll take all of these and put it in your brain and digest it, you'll be able to look at this war this life as a battle and though you can't understand all the dynamics you know the one who wins the battle and though you don't you can't interpret every little detail about your journey exactly why God did what he did or God didn't do what you thought he was going to do there will be a day where you will look back at this and you'll go oh you were working God you didn't interpret it or you didn't do it the way I wanted you to. You didn't give me the Mercedes and the woman that I prayed for. You didn't do the miracle, you know, whatever the thing is. But now I see that you heard my prayer and that that prayer mattered in establishing your kingdom. And one of the ways that people become cynical and that they do what was talked about in Capernaum where they get offended at God and they give up is they take one teaching on prayer and they make it their whole worldview. One, you know? So we'll take just blind Bartimaeus and we'll take just blind Bartimaeus uh, praying for himself and he saw a miracle. So because he saw a miracle, every time I should get a miracle. And every time I scream, God! People made fun of him, so he hollered all the more. God, God, God! And if you interpret it just upon one 
dynamic. We've got to look at the whole thing. We've got to look at the whole life of Christ. We've got to look at all of the way that Jesus responds. Because if you just do one, it's easy to get offended. It's easy to go, well, I don't know why God left me out. I don't know why I haven't seen supernatural things like others have. This is kind of a humorous example, but I'll, I'll just give you a, an example of my life. All right. I, this is not a joke. All right. This is a true story. All right. When I was 19 years old, we had a guy, pastor, come to teach the internship that I was a part of that year. And he came and at the end, he wanted to pray for each one of us. And he asked me if there was anything that I could pray for. And I was not the, you know, deep spiritual man that I am now. So I said, in a cynical, kind of because I thought it was a funny way, I said, yeah, I want to be taller. Can you pray for that? You know, thinking it was funny. Everybody else laughed. And he was like, yeah. And I was like, And he proceeded to tell me about how there have been friends of his that, you know, were, had reached their full height. And I hadn't grown since the, well, really eighth, but we'll call it tenth, you know, somewhere in there. Grade. All right. And so I said this and, and he began, I mean, full on intercession people like, ah, like this guy has a master's degree and this guy is praying that this college kid who's almost 20 years old hasn't grown in years and knows he's reached his final destination right there comfortably at 5'5 all right and he's praying passionately that I'll grow now I don't need to explain to you if God answered his prayer but how I interpret it matters right because if we only take you know if I only go on the my faith well then I'm like reading about Bartimaeus and I'm like my faith my faith my faith God wish I was a little bit taller come on God you know what's the deal it's been 11 years now still praying that prayer if I believe it's going to happen and it's just and, and, and I don't have that all I have is I got other people's and I'm like I'm getting the most godly people I can I'm like Joe I want you to pray I need to be taller come on Stefan get on your feet what are you doing here go, go home and pray that I'll be taller right logical conclusion are you with me I should have picked a healing or something this is too goofy for you to understand but I didn't want to do something that's like a sore spot and then you be really upset and then nobody comes back. So, or if I take persistence, then it's just every day, all the way home. Wish I was a little bit taller. God, make me a little bit taller. That thing, all right? All right? I go, all right, all of these have their application. But probably that prayer on that day probably a little bit more my will than God's will. Just a chance. Just perhaps. Right? So because of that, I'm able to look at it and go, all right, here's how I can look at this scenario. All right? I'll tell you this. A lot of the scenarios that cause a 
offense in people's heart towards God is because they're taking one dynamic and they're making it the exclusive whole will of how God works. Are you with me? And I know just by doing the furnace and just by doing tours, there's a lot of dynamics going on. And that my role is to believe and to press and to pray for the supernatural and we pray for God to work and we leave it at that. But when you get in the business of interpreting how it all looks, if I were you, I'd wait for the omniscient, omnipotent God to do that when you no longer are trying to figure it out with your peewee brain on earth. Because you never will. We can't. We can't see like God sees. So we try to get as much of the knowledge of God in us so that we can understand as much as possible. And then we do what he's called us to. We pray like he's called us to pray. We have faith. We pray his will. We, we, we get other people praying. We get as many people as praying as possible. We're persistent in prayer. And then we say, and I'm not going to be like the people in Capernaum that have offense in my heart. I'm going to just leave it with you. And that's where it rests. And if you have that perspective, then when the miracles come, there's life in your heart. When the miracles don't come, there's faith and trust. And you go, God, one day I'll see. But you don't put God in your little box and have your own little way of saying, he didn't do what he said he'd do. The Bible's not true. Well, Pee-wee, you can't see like God sees. You can't see the whole you can't see the whole battle. You can see your little you can see a little section. You can see a little bit. God wins the war. And he's gonna use us. He does it. Are you with me? Father, in the name of Jesus, we want to be a people that pray consistently. We want to be a people that pray with persistence. We want to be a people that pray with faith. We want to mobilize as many thousands as possible to contend in prayer with us. And God, we want to see you work. But even if we never see hundreds of thousands of people in prayer meetings and conferences or getting on airplanes to go overseas or whatever it is, we want to be steady and faithful with the task you've called us to do. And we'll diligently do it no matter what. We honor you and we love you. In the gathering, shout amen. You've just heard one of the speakers from Desperation, a ministry of New Life Church in Colorado Springs. For more information on becoming a Desperation intern, attending one of our conferences, or joining the Desperation National Network for local churches, visit us at desperationonline.com.